Hi, everyone. Thanks again for your patience um, as we got through this little bump, but we are ready to begin. Welcome to today's Art Chat with Linda Fisler. My name is Sherry Haas, and I'll be your moderator today. A few things before we get started. We are recording today's Art Chat, and it'll be posted later at artistnetwork.com and our Artist Network YouTube page. So if you want to listen again, or if you know someone who is unable to join us live, please find it there and feel free to share it. Also, we will have a few minutes at the end to ask questions at the end of today's chat. If you look on your GoToWebinar control panel on the right side of your screen, you'll see a little question box. And that's where you can type in your questions for Linda and Juliet at any time, and I will relay them on your behalf. Okay, it's time to turn things over to Linda. Welcome, Linda. I'll let you take it from here. Okay, thanks, Sherry. Thanks for working through that um, technical stuff. It's, you know, live is always fun. Let's just put it that way. Um, but I appreciate you working through that really quickly. So, and welcome, everybody. Thanks for your patience. And, and while we get started, this is going to be a great talk with Juliet. And um, Juliet, welcome to the show. And I want to say congratulations on your new book, Lessons in Classical Painting. Um, and then it says, Essential Techniques from the Inside the Atelier. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit. Tell us a, about your new book and what inspired you to write it. Uh, th thanks for having me on here, Linda. Uh, mm -hmm. What inspired me to write the book, it wasn't really inspiration. It was sort of pressured. I was pressured into writing it by my students. I had a, a group of students at the time who said, you've done three books. The first two are more reference uh, overviews of painting and drawing. And you've done a more... Uh, um, you know, intensive how-to book with lessons in classical drawing, and now you've stopped. So it's like a cobbler who makes one shoe. So they <laughs> uh, inspired me to to uh, begin the second book, and and I think there's really a need for it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's wonderful. Um, I appreciate that you sent me a a copy that I could look through, and um, one of the things that that caught my eye, and of course it's you know right at the introduction, is the quote from Henry James. It says, "We will work in the dark. We do whatever we can, and what, and we give what we have. Our doubt is our passion, and our passion is our task. The rest is the madness of art." And I just like, oh wow, what a neat quote. So to start that off, it's that was really, really cool, and you know. That's one of the dilemmas of a, an art technique book because, you know, there, there's two sort of interesting elements to it. One is that it's a process that is not entirely controllable. Mm -hmm. And um, there's an element of mystery no matter how well you know the subject. And so it's not entirely teachable. There is that element of darkness to it. And the um, other aspect is, is that there is much that can be taught. <laughs> so balancing both the wonder of it and um, the technical aspect of it. Yeah, yeah. And it's... So let's, um, let's jump in and start the topics of your book. But let's do so um, more when we start talking about like the process of art versus the approach that you use to write the book. Um, so let's kind of focus on the, the art process a little bit. Um, tell us a, about your process if you're going to create a painting. Do you start with a, a tonal uh, like value study or do you just do you start drawing first? How, how do you, what's your process like? Just Kind of describe um, that a little bit. So my own personal one versus how it's outlined in the book? Um, you can actually cover both if you want, or you just talk about your own personal process, whichever you're more comfortable with. We'll put it that way. Um, well, it's interesting because I studied for a decade, and so I spent most of those years studying drawing, actually, because right. learning to see can be taught through drawing, and mm -hmm. that is uh, the foundation that underlies you know, almost well, all techniques in the figurative tradition, no matter how you end up actually building the, the paint layers, so ideas of being able to get proportion or composition and uh, ideas related to modeling are all uh, drawing-related concepts. And so, um, you know, my program starts with a foundation in drawing. I think that's the kindest gift you can give to someone when they're studying art is that first year or two just solely focused on that subject. And then, uh, but I've already done a whole book related to that. So this book, we, we start off right with um, value painting. So if we take the idea of color, um, when I was training, I liked to strip a really complex subject down to each of its component parts and just spend as much time as I could studying each of those aspects. Um, 
I don't right. know. It's just a, a quirk of my my brain. I if I don't understand how it works, I just can't can't rest. You know. So right. Right. With the, with the book, we start with uh, value, and then um, go on to form painting, and then uh, ideas of temperature and ideas of color. So. Um, you know, although personally I started off really learning to draw, transfer drawing, doing a tonal underpainting, and then building up color on top. Right. Um, there's nothing necessarily sacred about that application of paint. I mean, that's all it is is an application of paint. And um, there's a lot of different ways to tackle that subject with full integrity. And uh, so. Um, in the book, I go through a number of different ways of, of beginning and continuing that process. And in fact, in my own work, you know, I'll do a um, drawing and transfer it for one figure piece and not the next. I'll do a color study for a floral, uh, color underpainting for a floral piece um, when it's called for. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, it's one of the things that, um, you know, I find when I'm teaching is that everyone wants to get in there and just kind of throw paint around and, you know, not much thoughts given to building the painting, if you will. It's you know, like I, I consider drawing and composition to be two very important things. I call it one of the four pillars of of you know what I think is important. And and so trying to get my students to to get away from playing with wonderful, beautiful color and, and focus on something that is. Um, more drawing related or composition related is you know really hard but then once they understand that that's so important to enjoying the whole painting um, as a viewer it seems to be easier to convince them <laughs> do you run into kind of the, the same kind of I mean you're in a totally different world because you're also teaching students in like an atelier so they kind of have that understanding begin at the beginning right um, well, I, I work with people in workshop environment and as well as a full-time uh, studio program. So I get to meet a lot of people who are taking their first drawing class uh, or first painting class and um, those that continue it a lot longer. And, and there's so many different um, reasons to start studying art. So mm -hmm. for some of our students, they want to be a full-time professional painter. And for them to, you know, for all their investment and time, they really want make to make paintings that will live after them and be relevant and um, you know in this except for if you're um, really 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 lucky person you're not going to make a windfall <laughs> of money doing this particular occupation so it tends mm -hmm. to tie into people's ideas of meaning and significance and mm -hmm. so for those people they want to go deep with it and um, uh, but for other people who um, just want to take a class and learn to see better that's as you know, in its own way, that's just as exciting and just as important. And for people doing that, you know, enjoy it. You know, get as much of the principles as you can. But the main thing is delight in it and and um, and access it from whatever point you can. Yeah, yeah. It's really been interesting, um, kind of on a personal journey. Um, you know, I I started doing some live model drawing on, um, you know, a couple times. A month or, or, or just starting out and, and you know and and of course having friends like you <laughs> who are wonderful at drawing uh, the human fig figure and you know it's kind of like oh I, I can't do this I can't do this I put this roadblock up I can't do this you know but then um, I started doing this and it's just like you know, don't be so hard on yourself just start looking at line and just you know you know some things here use a value study to to, to get the shapes and different things like that and I've actually seen that improve in everything else that I've been doing um, creatively, painting, you know, wise, because you really do start to get, it becomes second nature, I guess, to start analyzing something um, in that way, if that makes sense. Yeah, so. yeah you, you, you bring up a really interesting point because that mantra of I can't do it um, is really easy to fall into, and not only in painting and drawing, but just about everything. Mm. And um, and I think with painting and drawing, perhaps the goal that we're working towards really um, is a helpful one, to sort of fix our minds on the things that we really love about it so that we're moving right. towards something, uh, towards a target that's hittable for us. And with painting uh, and drawing, there's no, there's no perfect, there's no sort of perfect art form that if we can sort of conform ourselves to it, we'll have arrived. Uh, 
the art that we end up producing that's most significant is also the ones that most clearly reflect us. And so in a way, it's how can we make that target be ourselves, like our best selves or our um, thoughts that we most deeply want to leave with people. And, um, uh, you know, our mo <laughs> we all have tons of thoughts, but the ones we really, really, really want to keep. And yeah. uh, so if that's the goal, then it's not that I can't do it necessarily. It's um, what do I need to do to be able to tap into this? And um, for that, you know, visual literacy and learning how to paint and technical aspects of art are like the sort of least flashy, least interesting. And the heart of art is related to content and, um, you know, what are you saying with it or um, how how did what you create, how, how is that able to lead people into a deeper experience in their own life? Can they see through their eyes? through your eyes or my eyes when they look at our work. Right. And, um, but without the technical training, we're really lopped off from, um, you know, ideas of excellence and, um, you know, we really cut ourselves off from that future by mm -hmm. so clearly wanting to separate um, craft and skill from creativity. Um, mm -hmm. Does that answer to it a little? Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, the, the biggest thing... For me, I guess what took the, the pressure off um, of me when I go to these sessions and do it is, you know, I don't have to share that with anyone. You know, this is my practice. So just going in there with the, the mindset of this is just totally practice. I'm going to have fun with it, like you said, and what comes out comes out, and I don't have to share it with anyone. And usually by the end of the night, I got one good one that I'm really excited about that I'll end up sharing on social media. but you know, for the most part, I, I think just like taking that, that pressure off of you and saying that you have to share everything with someone, you don't have to, you can keep it to yourself and really strive to, to force yourself to learn and of course realize too that, you know, there are your books, for example, is a, a great way that if you really decide that you like drawing and, and you're into studying the human form and things like that, there are references and books and Juliet's are really good. So, you know, there are ways that you can teach yourself through the through the books and, and there are yeah. naturally, you know, courses and things like that that you can take as well. So tell us yeah. a little bit yeah, tell us a little bit about your your atelier and, and the setup that you have in Seattle because I think I don't you know, of all the times that I think I've had you on the show, we haven't really talked about um, you know, your day job, if you will. Oh, the atelier okay. well, we, and, we, we let um so we'll just to touch on um, one of the things he said, one of, um, and then I'll transition to um, the question about the atelier, is Perfect. I received the most um, uh, amazing letter uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, from a, f a fellow who's serving um, a sentence in prison. And um, the, the letter said that the books have inspired him to help transform his time into something useful with a definite purpose. Oh, and wow that prisoners there are allowed to oil paint and draw pretty much all day long and there's a ton of talented individuals and so we tend to think that you know everyone has access to atelier training but they don't and we tend to sort of dismiss technique as something that uh, you know isn't as core or central to content but you know if if you're this fellow um, not facing much, much of a future and being able to tap in no matter where you are, you know, mm -hmm. in your basement in the Midwest or where, uh, or, or for this fellow in a prison cell or for me if I'm sitting in bed one morning, you know, no matter where you are to be able to tap into deep, deep issues and, and connect with sight and skill is pretty, pretty great. You know, that's a good yeah. reason for keeping books around. Wow, what a great letter. <laughs> yeah, it was really a great letter. Um, the Atelier, uh, by contrast to that, is a community. Um, mm -hmm. It's a, uh, my full-time program is embedded in Gage Academy of Art, and um, if people are familiar with Seattle, the Capitol Hill neighborhood of Seattle. And so what that sort of looks like is we have a big building, which is Gage, and then within that, uh, my Atelier has a life drawing studio. And um, and then students have individual studio spaces, and so they study over the course of several years, up to four or five years, um, working through a curriculum. And the curriculum is not we have sort of a rhythm to the years what you'd expect to accomplish at any um, given point. 
Um, but we also work with students to come up with what they're most interested in because there's an elastic quality to the, the curriculum. You can learn to draw and explore things that happen to be a special interest. Our biggest mm -hmm. trouble is time. Uh, we want to move through pe the people through the program you know, quickly so they can get out and do their the work that they're, they're anxious to do. And so that's our biggest constraint is how do we give everyone as much information as they possibly can have and at the same time uh, leave, leave as much room as possible for people's personal take on where they want to go. Hmm. So that's, cool. that's it. But we have a great, we have a great community. We're, we're wrapping up our year now and it's just couldn't be more fun. Just, just hardworking people um, and a lot of laughs. Yeah, Not always yeah. like that, but this year we <laughs> So um, real quickly, because um, I know we'll probably end up getting questions about, um, at least from the folks that live out in Washington or anybody that wants to study with you or at your atelier, um, web address so that they can go out and look at it. Oh, if you connect, you can either go to gageacademy.org or go to um, my website is um, Aristides Arts with the F. Com, and both of those can give you information on on our atelier. And if you're in Seattle, you're more than welcome to come by and visit. We get we get visitors periodically, and people come and sit in the life drawing room with us as well. Okay, well, I'm sitting here paging through your book um, as we go, so I'm up to um, chapter two, which is form painting. And um, I wanted to we're going to jump ship here. And by the way, before I get into this question, I also want to remind folks. Um, to type in questions. Juliet has been gracious enough to give us about an hour of her time, so I'm going to be asking some um, questions here, but make sure that you type your questions in, and um, probably in about 10 or 15 minutes we're going to go into the question uh, section of the, the talk. So make sure if you've got any questions for Juliet around drawing, around an atelier, um, around painting, you know, please type those in so that we can get those uh, answered for you. So, as I said, I'm looking through the, paper, the uh, book right now on form painting, and one of the things that always comes to me when, when I'm, and I guess I have a fascination with, um, mainly because I'm a palette knife paper, painter and I, I want to make sure that I'm handling edges uh, appropriately, so, um, and I'm, I'm looking at these wonderful pictures that are, uh, photos of paintings that are in here, and can you just, like, talk a little bit about edges? Um, mainly from the standpoint of how you handle them and how you make decisions around hard edge, soft edge, lost and found, and I know this goes back to seeing as well, but just kind of talk about that a little bit, give us some of your background yeah. on it. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, palette knife painting is interesting because there's a, actually a long tradition, sort of 19th century tradition as well, of, of being able to, to use palette knife, um, being able to think in terms of planes of, of color value and that sort of thing. Um, so in the book we have a, a picture, this is just beautiful painting of bread by um, Iram Gershoni and he has this, this quote that he sent to me on edges. Just It was actually just an email that he sent to me and it, I thought it was so beautiful that um, I included it in the book. And this is what Aram says, he, um, the way I see it, edges are the last and most difficult and subtle component to develop in the personal evolution of a painter. Mm -hmm. Drawing, tonality, even color can all be learned more rigorously, but edges are more personal. It's really where the soul of the painting resides. And um, he, he put that so well, because it is it difficult and highly personal. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I, so edges are linked to focal point. Um, and so you can sort of uh, and issues of contrast. And so the way I like to see it, I don't know if this is going to be too hard to describe um, in words um, over the phone, but you know with value, you have a whole, if you imagine a value string going from white to black where you have the mm -hmm. different sort of grayscale between, you have this range of uh, values mm -hmm. on the one end white, the other black. Well, I like to think of edges the same way. On the one side you have um, totally lost edges. You, you can't see, like imagine a dark sea, you know, a tree against a dark night sky where there's some parts of the tree that you just can't see the edge of. Right. And then others where you've got someone, you know, wearing a jet black turtleneck standing against a white wall and all of a sudden the entire contour of their bodies are, um, Hard edge. you know, in relief against oh, the background. Okay. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. and, 
so on one one uh, side you have the lost edge, the other side you have a totally found edge. Well, mm -hmm. there's a sliding scale between all that, uh, between the two of just you know gradually decreasing uh, sharpness of edges. And um, so in a painting, you're going to find you know that whole spectrum if you're looking at life. And so looking at a painting and try, uh, or your subject and trying to identify where is it I'm seeing that highest contrast area? Where am I seeing the sharpest edge? Okay, now where am I seeing the softest edge? And then that becomes your sort of truth, your, your truth to negotiate. And then also um, keep in mind that as your eye is sort of moving throughout the image, wherever you're really focusing is going to create that sort of high contrasty effect. And so mm -hmm. you want to be able to establish the truth for the whole painting and so that you don't get confused as your eye zooms in to individual areas. Um, so that would be my right. quick tip. Yeah, yeah, and it, and again, we both know it's really hard to talk about edges in just words. It's so much easier in a in a workshop when you start saying, "See this line here," and now it draws your eyes. And you know, so, so but I think that what you did was was wonderful because I was, you know, picturing it in my mind, and of course I was looking at your book at the same time. But, <laughs> so cheating a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, so I think that that's really great, and I and I really do think that edges are are um, so important and I love that quote that was a, a wonderful quote too um, so let's um, jump ahead real quick to uh, color theory which um, is another popular to topic and uh, tell us a little bit about how you tackle that in the book um, the book is a progression you know it's uh, it's not only just straight-up technique well, we have um, historical work and we have contemporary work and we have pull out sort of pages dealing uh, with certain subjects like um, you know edges or value composition, but the overall flow of the book goes from a first chapter on value, this uh, value pattern, the sort of poetry of big shapes. This the second chapter is all to do with form. How is light hitting an object? How to to get that illusionistic quality of um, of value? And then we move through um, t uh, temperature which is um, in our curriculum at the Atelier, we use start off with two color painting. And there's no consensus on the best way to start off teaching color. This is um, an idea, two color painting, that's explored in Harold Speed's book and, and others as a way to sort of uh, break down the process. So for example, now you know how to use black and white, and you know how to handle um, value, which is one of the biggest components of color is value. Color mm -hmm. is uh, value is one of the uh, main ways to help you identify color. Um, and so the next is we use temperature. Now temperature isn't actually a, a true attribute of color. Um, a true attribute would be the value chroma or the hue. Um, hue is just another word for you know the the color. What color is it? Is it uh, uh, you know, red, blue, orange, green. Um, chroma has to do with um, intensity of color. Uh, mm -hmm. Is it? Am I looking at you know an orange from the fruit bowl, or am I looking at you know um, the wooden you know woody bark on a on a tree? You know, both mm -hmm. can be considered orange. One is going to be obviously high saturation or intensity, and another one's going to be low. And so we're we're just sort of break it down, and we we start off with a really gradual en um, entrance. So you know what value it is. So now can we tell if it's warm or cool? And I think that's a really helpful subject to isolate because of the fact that so many things we look at in life are really no color at all. Mm -hmm. um, so for example, if you look at the skin in your you know arms, uh, there's a lot of subtle shifts. But if you'd point to exactly what color it is, you know where which tube of paint can you pull out? You know, you can't pull out one tube of paint for that, or a lot of, you know, the wall I'm looking at right now is sort of a light gray, but because of the way the light comes in, there's areas that look almost blue and some that are leaning towards yellow. And um, and so being able to say, okay, what value is it? Now, is it, you know, maybe I can't identify what color it is yet. But can I identify if it's leaning towards cool or if it's leaning towards warm? So we're just trying to establish some big, big targets that we right. know we can hit. And then from there, leading into um, limited palette figure painting. And the reason we do that is 
because the history of figure painting is the history of the limited palette. A lot of um, uh, the figure can be conveyed without, um, you know, a huge range of color, and that's just proven by all the artist palettes we, we have handed down to us and the, their limited access to color. And then we move from that uh, into the last chapter, which is just full-blown high-intensity color. And so it's just a really gradually, you know, it's like going on a, the book is designed like going on a trail. You know, you just start mm -hmm. off really gradually flat, and then it just gradually builds up each section sort of answering a different question and seeing examples. And uh, in the book, we have a whole bunch of different color exercises with, and, and the, the color exercises are really with the, you know, under underneath them all is just the desire to get people experimenting with color. So basically, a big piece of glass, you have your color on the glass, you have a palette knife, now what starts to happen? And so yeah. by getting people directly to the palette and the color wheel will help when you're actually in front of the still life because you know what, what the colors are capable of. Right, yeah. And a lot of it um, comes back to, and I, you know, I really remember the struggle when I was going along my journey and still, you know, we all have days when we struggle. Um, but standing next to someone who is further along in their journey and sees totally different than like I would see. Like I, I was standing next to somebody who had been painting for, you know, let's say 25 years or so and the person saying to me, oh, I love that coral cloud that's going by and up in the sky and I'm looking at the person going, that cloud is white. <laughs> you know, oh yeah, I, I, I remember you know, because that. I'm listening. Oh yeah, you, you know, and I'm listening to my brain. Clouds are white, tree trunks are brown, you know, grass is green, and you know, white is white. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, it's really there's no better reason to study painting, even if you never make a single work of art, is you begin to see color, uh, and that is, that's uh, just a true. It's a true delight that you know never never leaves you. And if you think with, you know, we're, we're in such an incredibly mediated culture, mm -hmm. to be someone who could sit there and stare at, you know, the ledge of a windowsill and be fascinated, interested, and inspired for a half hour uh, or weeks, depending on, on what kind of painter you are, is a remarkable skill set. Right, right. And especially in the day's world, and I remember this from a, another conversation that we had um, in our chat, and, and we talked about the influence of... Um, you know, like social media and computers and things like that. And, and I'll always remember this, Juliet, because every time I pick up my phone, I hear your voice, and it says, this is just like drugs. <laughs> you know, I'm so <laughs> <addicted to that. laughs> I'm an extremist. <laughs> well, no, you, you quoted a study or something that said that um, the, the pattern of the brain... Um, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah it is. I, it's addicting. I don't think anyone's going to argue it with the, addict, the addictive nature of distraction, especially electronic distraction. Right. Like we're... Yeah, we're just more efficient at delivering delivering that than we used to be. Yeah, we just got to get to the point where we like really enjoy studying that light changes and color changes on a windowsill as much as we enjoy going out on our phones, right? So. Yeah, well, the the one of the things that's really interesting is distraction is embedded in human nature. So if you go mm -hmm. back and look at people like the um, Roman philosopher Seneca. You know, he's saying that life goes by so quickly. You know, we're often at the end of it before we get a chance to realize that we we, we haven't uh, enjoyed it, you know. Right. And so this sense that you're like, how could you be distracted? You know, you lived in the year 70. What kind of distraction is that? It's nothing. And so I think that we're more efficient at um, uh, that, that our nature, you know, human nature uh, enjoys being busy. And um, we've just upped the pace a little bit. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and and I guess there's kind of a natural extension that goes off from this this conversation. And um, you know, there's a lot of uh, struggles that are are going on with folks around, you know, where art fits today in in our current society. And um, I know you've got a, a lot of thoughts. Uh, about that, uh, and it's one of the things that you wanted to talk a little bit about today. So, um, tell us a, a little bit about what your thinking is of of how you know what what do you say to someone who comes to you and says, you know, wow, I really like to make a living at art, but I'm not sure I can. You know, what do you um, say? <laughs> well, I, I I don't know if people can. It's certainly not, you know, not for most people. It, 
you know, if you check in with most people who are making a living at drawing and painting, they really cobble it together. It's, you know, right. it, it's some people can make all their their money from painting, but it's not always exactly like that. Um, but I think you know, it, it's I think that there's almost uh, an aspect to painting and drawing that uh, fills sort of uh, uh, a need in culture that's been vacated by the you know, religion in a weird way, um, <laughs> a sense, uh, you know, con a concern for ideas of meaning. So, for example, if we look at, um, I, I went to go and check out a college for my daughter, and they had a huge building devoted to art, and so I was, I was excited about it. I was going to wait until last to go and see it, and went in, and it was, you know, just what you'd, you'd sort of expect. I couldn't even find the art. The place was... Um, chaotic. I, I couldn't see any art that was being done or being displayed. I actually had to get someone to help me find it, like without even a joke. I just couldn't even find it. <laughs> and then you think, here is a school with 40,000 kids all studying their various professions. And, you know, our jobs are only one part of who we are as people. Um, you know, because we all have our, you know, driving to work and our cooking of our meals and all these other things. But the well, why does it matter ultimately after all? So, um, you know, great books and great painting and aspects of culture are one way we know that we've got souls inside of us. And so mm -hmm. if we begin to allow those to just sort of quietly fade away, and they are and have quietly, you know, been fading away, uh, you know, where is the impetus going to come from for, you know, courage when we need it or taking a long view or even cultivating thought? You know, there's a New York Times article yesterday on the end of reflection. Um, you know, what does it feel like to think? And so I think uh, our relationship with technology is weirdly a, um, you know, it's, it's a trade-off to some degree. You know, many great things are happening culturally. It's really an exciting time to be alive and at the right. same time, uh, how can we also make room for thought, for appreciating beauty and finding meaning? And uh, I don't want to be too much on a soapbox, but I've got, I know two people that killed themselves in the last month. Oh my gosh. And, right, and this is not for want of money or anything that you'd look at them, you know, these are people, if you met them, that would be smiling. And so, you know, where's room in the culture for why, you know, why we matter? And that's been the cornerstone of art. And so the technique of art is one part because that's how we give people a voice when we empower people. Uh, mm -hmm. But the other aspect of it is that artists in our day and age have an incredible calling and a powerful calling. It's not a minor profession, it's a major profession. And so love to see people just get out and own that, you know. Yeah, and the expression of oneself is is a relief in itself. Um, yeah. You know, it, I always question, I always ask the question in terms of income mainly because I usually find out that, you know, that's that's not the reason why we're in it and that's typically the answer and, and it's, it, it really isn't why we're in it because <laughs> I'm not sure how much money some folks make. I mean, if you look at the 4.2 million dollars or million um, artists that are out there in the world, creating and you know that's that's a lot of art that's that's out there and the discovery of someone who has been painting you know there's always the misconception that oh this is like an overnight success um, whether it be a writer or a painter or whatever it's it's no it's the the 10 or 15 years before that where they were honing their craft that that you didn't see and then all of a sudden you like burst onto this the stage you know in the 10 or 15 years it was all about that that search of self um, and and finding what we call finding your voice. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. And can we can we now take that time? Can we give us permission to take that time uh, to study? You know, to remove ourselves wow. from from immediate immediate concerns and just dive into it for for its own sake. Yeah, yeah. It's it's been a lot more fun when um, I've taken that. That you know, I have to make money at this off of the plate, and and just said, you know, you know what, I'm going to study this because I just really want to learn, and I want to be able to express what I want to ex express, and 
um, it's good to be in a position where you don't have to worry about that a lot, <laughs> but at the same token, um, don't enter it if that's, you know, as I've heard a number of artists say, don't enter it if that's what you're in it for, because it's the pressure alone will, you know, make it not fun. So, and it is very low. In it, oh, go ahead, Juliet. And there's no guarantee that, and money doesn't always solve that. Some of the most successful right. artists I know are the least happy. And so if there's a way to untether it, even if it means finding a different job that pays you the money so you can do the art that you love and keep it kind of pure, there's nothing wrong with that either. Right, right, absolutely. So um, let's talk a little bit about Juliet. <laughs> Because I want to recognize you are one really busy person, um, and and we, you know, I, I do appreciate and I do value um, the ability to to talk with you and um, be friends with you because we have a lot of similar interests and we do we're doing a lot of similar things. Um, but yeah, you're a, you're one thing you are one thing that I'm not, and that's a mother. <laughs> so, yep, so, yep. Got so you you are a mother. Kids, yeah. Yes, three kids, and you run an atelier and, and the academy, and, and you have your own career, and you teach, and you travel, and you're a writer slash author, you're an artist, you're an avid reader, and you're what I call a true creative entrepreneur, by the way. So how do you find time to do all this? You know, do you set goals? Do you have a, a, a to-do list <laughs> that you scratch yeah. off on? <laughs> yeah, go, yeah, go for it. Uh, you know, I wish I, I, I truly wish I could tell you I had a staff of people that make my life really easy, like someone to clean stuff up or cook, but I don't. So I don't have, <laughs> so I am really bogged down like everybody else with a lot of things going on all the time. Um, I don't, I mean, it sounds really impressive like I'm doing a lot. It doesn't always feel that way, so I'm glad I've been able to fool at least one person, which is <laughs> you. <laughs> I'm really glad for that. Um, but no, these are all things that I love. So for example, if you take something that you love, I don't know, let's say somebody loves cooking. Uh, you know, you, you have a busy day, you do a million things, but you find the time to go out and do the shopping and to put it together because it gives some kind of joy. And so for me, if... Um, you know, the reading and doing the writing is uh, one aspect of my job. I do, because it gives me pleasure to have a reason to figure things out and to mm -hmm. um, spend time thinking about things. Um, the painting is, uh, at this point, it's not its not even work. It's just like, um, you know, it's just exciting. It's exciting to be able to do that. And then the teaching is community. So I think each aspect of that hits on something that I actually enjoy doing. And so... Mm -hmm. I don't have a very linear schedule. I wish I could like have a bird's eye view, see how I managed to make time and do a better job of making more of it. Um, but at this point, it's almost, I, I'm not doing everything simultaneously. I carve out, you know, a day to teach and then, you know, then I'm painting and maybe part of the day painting I'll be writing and then at night I would read. And so it's just almost like, um, it's not multitasking. It's sort of I, I can kind of quickly shift between things. I don't watch a lot of TV. I don't have a smartphone, and so I'm able to sort of capitalize on um, on moments to keep these things alive. And then to the point that if I get any sort of significant space, to be able to use it. But it feels like sometimes it's just keeping. Um, I'm just keeping the interest alive, not able to really go after it at, at any one given moment. Does, does that make sense, Linda? Yeah, the last line, specifically being someone who's always asked the question too, how do you get things done that you get done You need, with everything that I have on my plate, the writing, the painting, the teaching, the podcast, the, the, the you know, I'm doing self-publishing talks up at a bookstore, you know, every month and, and things like that. and. And it comes down to these are things that I am the most interested in doing for various, various reasons. And, and each of them has their own reason for doing it um, or why I enjoy doing it. If I don't enjoy doing it, I don't do it. So, right. So, right. Yeah, you know, it's like I've had people ask, you know, me to do things that I really don't have interest in doing. And maybe because it was you know, it seemed important to them or something like that. And I'm going to get myself in trouble here because I know there's probably some people who know me that are listening to this at some point. But um, it's, you know, I'm not talking about anything that's creative-based or creative entrepreneur-based because typically that, you know, pretty much interests me. But, um, like, sitting in meetings um, right. all day long, <laughs> 
you know, yep, yep, I've done some for, of those. So, for somebody you, else's, yeah, bad. yeah, for somebody else's passion, you know that you know I'm I'm happy that you can have a passion, but just don't bring me into it because if I don't have the same passion, that is just like a killer for me. I can't, you know, I can't do it. So, um, and, and I'm happy that I, I always get very very happy that there are people who are passionate about things that I am not passionate about. Um, because that's so, what makes the world cool. <laughs> so. Yeah, I think I, I think so. I think that's uh, uh, great. And then in the midst of all that, you know, sort of busyness, can 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 all of us, you know, carve out time to do a whole lot of nothing, and that's important too. And that's also hard to get on the to-do list. Right, right. And, and I'm sure you know the the demands of being a mother, um, which I know that you absolutely enjoy as well, and. Um, you know those those days are special. I'm sure when you can just have that family time um, with your family, with your husband and and kids, and um, scheduling that. I like you said. I, and, and you know what, scheduling that for anybody that has a, a true day job too is hard. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know anybody who's just doing one thing anymore. It feels like no. you know all of us, all of us are are giving everything we can. You know. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we've got a few questions. So again, uh, we're coming up to, to the end of the conversation with, with Juliet. So if you have a question, please type them in. Um, one more thing, Juliet, um, the last question I had for you was any other advice for artists that are listening today? Um, it, it would. Um... I would really want to be specific for whatever aspect of art they were they were uh, interested in. Uh, okay. So I, I couldn't. I'd have a hard time giving more of a, a general uh, blanket uh, mm-hmm. advice. Okay. So uh, Sherry, if you want to unmute, let's uh, I, let's get to the questions and see what uh, what we have. Sounds good. Um, the first question that we have, Juliet, is um, it's a question about your methods for transfers. It's mm-hmm. the question is what method do you use to transfer a drawing to the panel, or do you draw directly on the panel? Um, okay, great, great question. I do both. I do uh, sometimes I'll do drawings, and my drawings tend to be pretty complete. So I'll put a piece of glass, like I'll put some pennies, like under on the corners of the drawing, put a piece of glass on, and then just trace, uh, uh, you know, I, I, or with a piece of glassine or something, uh, trace the drawing, and then I'll photocopy it and enlarge it up, because some of the paintings get to be pretty big. So I'll, I'll enlarge it and then transfer it that way with a piece of um, transfer carbon paper. Um, and they come in different colors. So if you have a dark ground on there, they have blue or white or whatever you can use to transfer. I also do a fair amount of paintings where I'll just draw right directly on the canvas with charcoal and then ink it with um, a small like micron pen or um, you know or brown uh, India ink or just spray fix the charcoal right on there. There's a lot of different ways. Some people use Stabilo pencils, which can lock it in, and I've done that as well. So there's just a ton of ways to get that first layer locked in so you can paint on top of it um, without losing the drawing. But yeah, Kinko's pretty much Uh is uh, enlarging the drawing and then putting something between that to transfer. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, you're welcome. The The next question is about dynamic symmetry. And I'm just going to read the question as it's written because it's a little bit long. Um, It says, this person says, I teach design, I'm sorry, specifically dynamic symmetry. I've read all of your books and I was wondering how you teach design in your atelier. He goes on to say, you mentioned the armature of the rectangle as well as the root rectangle system of design in classical painting atelier. And I'm, I'm curious how you implement that information to your students. Yeah, it's interesting because we don't always get to it every year, to be honest. Um, and it's something that I, I'm actually tr- trying to fit that in this year, and the year is rapidly drawing to a close. Uh, mm. So depending on the years, depending what, in the past when I've taught it, we've just allocated a whole week. I have a workbook. We run people through the workbook where they practice, um, starting off by just actually going out and observing uh, natural forms in nature, coming back, sketching them, and starting to be able to look to see straight line relationships underlying the curve. And so being able to see straight lines within 
So, so we try to hit on con big concepts first, and there's so many different aspects um, to that. Uh, and then, you know, we we always teach them uh, building it up an ellipse in an analytical drawing class, and that that um, the lines we use to break down the ellipse are. are Basically, the armature of the rectangle, so that then we begin to practice. Uh, in the past, we've um, analyzed master compositions as one component of it. So there's so many sort of brilliantly designed paintings. So having students sort of tag team between nature, um, um, analyzing master compositions, and then designing a few of their own. So there's so we break down that whole process. And then there's some other things to include as well. One of the reasons we don't bring it in every year is because people tend to struggle, students tend to struggle at the beginning so much with just being able to learn to draw, period. And then you start throwing in um, some of that compositional stuff, and they can end up trying to force their work onto um, rectangles. Uh, so I need to do a better job of sort of balancing that out so that their um, students are able to um, get access to that information earlier without struggling to sort of contort anything in order to fit it. Because um, they both can work beautifully together and do work beautifully together. If, um, let me think of, um, uh, so, ba so basically that's it. We tend to break it down into a one-week workshop that hits on various points. And then also, like with books like Henry Rankinport, where he he doesn't talk about the armature, but he talks about 90 degree intersection and how that gets used to generate rectangles, which is um, useful and hits on various design elements, such as um, uh, you know some really heavy hitting points of good composition, uh, such as uh, balance and visual weight and um, where things are placed in relation to the edge of a canvas scale and how that impacts composition. So there's, there's aside from dynamic symmetry, there's a lot of um, stuff you can add to it as well. Sorry, mm -hmm. is that too long-winded? <laughs> no, no, no. It sounds like we could have a whole webinar just on that topic. <laughs> there's a lot of competition. <laughs> its own thing. The year is not long enough, I've found. And the same thing with color theory. There's so much mm -hmm. color theory. So what we've ended up doing in the atelier is just sort of cycling through various where we hit the information, but we, we just haven't found a way to do it every single year. Sure. And I think we have time for one more question because we're almost at the end. Um, and I, I have a feeling that this is another one that, that takes a little bit more explanation than we might have room for in, in a single conversation. But um, she asks, how do you figure out lighting for still life? And is that covered in your book? Um, yeah, we do cover um, lighting in the book. Uh, talk about that. Uh, so you can use artificial or natural light. Um, I don't know if the um, artist who wrote in is has a home studio or what it is, but if you can use natural light, um, often there's a little, there's a um, plus and minus to it. There's uh, uh, natural light's a little less predictable. There's a lot more color that gets floated in through natural light. So when it, so it's always shifting in a way, and especially if you have clouds and if it's not a north-facing window. So artists tend to focus on north-facing window because it gives you the cool, stable light throughout the day. Um, that being said, my studio is west-facing, which is not ideal at all. But because Seattle tends to be sort of gray most of the time, uh, I can get by a lot of the day with using it. Now, there's a certain point in the day when the light will sort of stream right in directly. It's not usable. And then I shut the, um, I've got blackout curtains, and I have artificial light that I have for other you know, setups that I would have going at that same time. Um, so you can use, you can make windows work even if it's not north light. So the end, you tend to, for still life, use, um, it's nice to have one light source, one mm -hmm. dominant light source. You can float other light in there as well to make it more interesting if you want. Um, in the book, there are some pictures uh, of that. Um, so dominant, so, so I guess my top bullet points for lighting is make sure it's, you know, clear, clean, bright, light that's directly you know aimed at your subject you're not having a ton of bouncing light in from from a lot of competing sources unless that's something you're specifically going for 
Um, and uh, and then artificial light, you know, even if it's just a lamp um, with a head of head of the lamp that can be angled, is a great one to look for. And you know, if you go to Lowe's or Home Depot or wherever you buy your light bulbs, um, they have whole sections on bulbs, and you can buy bulbs that are um, sort of daylight equivalent bulbs. They're a little boring, you know. They're not like natural light where you can see, you can see all kinds of color in it, but um, but but they'll they'll do a good job of just generally feeling like the the cool natural light. Mm -hmm. That's good to know. Um, yeah. I think we, <laughs> we do have just one more question, if you wouldn't mind addressing that, and then we can wrap it up. Um, and I think this is this might be a quicker answer too. Um, we have someone who is looking forward to attending um, the atelier at Gage um, this fall, and they're asking if you have any recommendations for students um, before they attend an atelier. Um, it's it's great if you have a little time uh, ahead of time to read a bit. You know, um, a great one to start off with is Harold Speed's The Practice and Science of Drawing. Um, reading the first book that I've written, um, Lessons in Classical Drawing, just familiarizing yourself with basic things that are covered will just enable when you do hear information, it's not the very, very first time you're hearing it. Um, so taking time to do a little bit of reading and it is recommended. And then also, if you can get into a life drawing class just to practice, um, give it but most of the time, ateliers are designed to take anyone. It's really a very democratic system of education. You show up, and and it's a teacher's job to really ensure and work collaboratively to make sure that you get what you need. So I wouldn't worry too much about coming in with anything, you know, to show. Okay, great. Thank you for taking the time to answer that, and thank you both so much for for all the the great information that that we got to listen to today. Um, we're going to move on to the last slide here, and I would like to take a moment to thank our audience for joining us today. If you joined us late, you can listen to the complete recording of this webinar soon at artistnetwork.com. Stay tuned. Um, we'll have another art chat next month, and I think, Linda, we'll, we'll send out the details for that when they're available, correct? Yeah, I'm still waiting to hear back from the guest, so um, okay. to make sure that to confirm it. Otherwise, I'll be out looking for another guest if she can't make it. So, <laughs> okay, that sounds good. So everybody can just visit artistnetwork.com, and we'll make we'll make the announcement there, and we'll have another one. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Julia. So thanks, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Mm, bye. -bye. bye, -bye.